Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. This podcast is brought to you by Walmart Canada and Novo Nordisk Canada. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. So today we are very fortunate to be joined by Erin Rose Fraser, and she is a retired registered nurse. She retired in June 2020. She has lived in the community of North Preston for most of her life. Rose has been employed in the tertiary health care system in addition to community health nursing for a total of 43 years. So she has a wealth of experience in the community. During the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, she supported the work of the North End Community Health Center's mobile outreach street health van, which was utilized as a testing center van in the community. She is a tireless patient healthcare advocate, health educator, counselor, and mentor for nursing students. The residents of her community refer to her as our nurse. She has received several certificates and awards for her community volunteer work. She's been involved in various boards and committees, naming just a few, the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children, the Multicultural Health Committee, IWK, the North Preston and Student Association, the North Preston Advisory Council for Nelson Winder School, and many others. Most recently, the Health Association of African Canadians. She's married to Alexander Fraser, and they have two adult children and four grandchildren who are her pride and joy. Welcome to the conversation, Rose. Thank you. So we are so grateful that you have come to join us today in this cultural competency series. And I understand this is a topic that you're very passionate about. And I think in order to frame this conversation, I think you had wanted to introduce us to a case, a real situation you've encountered that can set us up for a conversation where we can learn together. Yes, thank you. Yes, uh, we know that during the pandemic, it was... Uh, very challenging for on many levels for healthcare providers, for, for clients, for the business community, for a lot of people. But this case scenario is about a, a person within the Preston Township who uh, encountered some challenges at a facility that she went. So, so I'm going to just uh, share that with you. Um, this person uh, was, was, uh, had been seen by our family doctor and had to have blood work done. Uh, the client uh, arrived at the facility. And just to uh, preface this, the client has a family history of type two diabetes, heart disease, COPD, asthma. And when they arrived at the facility with requisition in, requisition in their hand to, to go to the lab area, they took a number and sat down. Their number was called the health card was given to the receptionist, scanned, and the health card was viewed. Uh, the demographic, demographic was seen. And then it was inquired if that person had been in contact with anyone who was positive for COVID-19. The client informed the receptionist at the time that she'd had COVID-19, but was 
declared by public health as non-infectious anymore. The receptionist then went to speak with her colleagues, returned, and immediately escorted the client out of the lab area into another place. No explanation was given for the removal from the lab area. The client then asked why she was being removed and isolated, and she was because she was no longer infectious with COVID-19. The reply was, it's because of your demographic, the re receptionist responded. Uh, the client then asked to speak to the manager of the lab to share her experience and how embarrassing this was for her. Uh, they gave the reason why was because it was based on a policy from Nova Scotia Health. The client returned home, contacted public health about the policy and requested a change in the postal code policy. Because as we uh, have heard, or in April, 2020, um, Nova Scotia Health made the decision to, uh, to check postal codes in order to identify COVID-19 clusters. And so that became a really uh, problematic issue for those in the Preston Township. So this client went and uh, shared this incident with public health and asked for a change in the policy code. Two weeks of policy, the postal code policy, two weeks after that the client had to return to the hospital. Quote, I was treated very differently this time and was allowed to sit with other clients, unquote. This experience created a sense of distrust of healthcare providers because she was singled out. And the systems of health provision for the client, it, it, it just gave a very bad uh, taste in her mouth. And she, she just felt that um, she, was, she was isolated and with no explanation until she asked the question. And certainly this is not an isolated case. This, this occurs um, on a regular basis. I hear from so many clients in our area about uh, treatment that they felt was not culturally competent. Uh, so that's that case scenario. The, the end of the story is that uh, um, this is what she, she told me that public health then sent letters to uh, the clinics in the area to, to uh, inform them. And uh, I believe, I didn't check on it, but uh, that policy was changed because then it seemed like things were more open and accessible for, for the clients. So thank you so much for sharing that story and that experience. And, and I'm sure that was really quite traumatic for the individual who went through that. And I, I, I can imagine that it would have impacted on their trust in the healthcare system and their perhaps willingness to access care in the future, um, which might then impact their future health. And you, you used a very interesting term. You said cultural competence uh, as being fundamental. Um, to how the healthcare system operates and how we interact. Can you help us by defining what that means and telling us why that's important? The definition that I have of cultural competence came from a study in 1989 
uh, by a group of uh, researchers. Um, and the researchers, Terry, Terry L. Cross, Barbara Bezron, Carl W. Dennis, and Marisa R. Isaac. And this paper focused on the treatment of children, how cultural differences can lead to inequitable care when medical organizations and staff are not culturally competent. And this was uh, with indigenous children. And so the definition is a set of congruent behaviors, attitudes, and policies that come together in a system, agency, or among professionals and enable that system agencies or those professionals to work effectively in cross-cultural situations. And that, that was their definition. But I have my own explanation. When government, institutions, societal organizations, mainstream healthcare practitioners working within the healthcare system, one, make conscious decisions to change inequitable and exclusionary policies, two, change behaviors that are not inclusive, three, treat people of different races and cultures with the same respect which those working in that system are privileged to. And this speaks to the privilege. Many people uh, of African descent uh, speak to this issue on a regular basis that we have not had the privilege of mainstream society. Just by nature of our history and how we had to uh, um, be placed in our various communities throughout Nova Scotia, that uh, that that gives us less privilege, and uh, it isolates us, and it's um, it's been a very very uh, traumatic and and uh, difficult time throughout the ages, um, throughout my parents' age. I'm a seventh generation African Nova Scotian, and uh, I am um, um, very proud of that, but my parents tell me stories about the doctors who used to come to our community um, back in the 50s, back in the 40s, 1940s, um, and I didn't even know there was medical care then in our community, but uh, there was one doctor who would come on horse and buggy to, uh, to help in our community. And so the isolation, that's one of the things that, that creates uh, a real barrier for adequate health care, um, in particular with, with diabetic health, with diabetic health care. Um, because I'm speaking with the Diabetic Association, um, there, there are anecdotally uh, many people in our community who have diabetes type two, mostly type two diabetes. And uh, it's, it's one of the things we don't have stats or data on in our, in our province. Uh, I know that Ontario has, has some stats on diabetes, but we have none. And we're on, in a process right now, Health Association of African Canadians in coordination with other uh, groups in uh, black groups in our province are working towards that very thing to have stats that speak to us, that uh, inform 
the medical system, the healthcare system, uh, that that we too require um, appropriate, culturally appropriate healthcare. And uh, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right that we need to understand the situation and, and how it is different in each community. We know from data in Ontario that the uh, incidence of type 2 diabetes in Black people is double uh, what it is in white individuals, Ontarians, uh, when adjusted for their baseline characteristics, um, and that they're more likely to get diabetes at a younger age at a lower range of BMI. And so we really do need to understand the situation in each individual community. Um, I also, I really resonated with some of the um, descriptions that you provided, uh, talking about recognizing that kind of unearned privilege of healthcare providers, right? Sitting in a place of privilege and comfort and access to the healthcare system that may not be similarly experienced by members of other communities and being conscious of that and actually actively engaging in trying to change policies uh, in a way that is uh, going to improve equity and improve inclusion in a more anti-racist strategy to uh, remove that differences in privilege. Does that make sense as my interpretation of what you said? That's certainly, that, that sums it up nicely. Uh, that um, privilege, white privilege is real. And uh, uh, I recall many years ago reading a, uh, an article by Peggy McIntosh from the U.S. and she was a social worker. And when I first read it, this was probably in the 1990s. When I first read it, uh, it was so moving because some of the things that she said were some of many of the things that I had experienced that I know people in my community have experienced. Being able to go to a store and buy, uh, if you wear makeup, buy a shade of makeup, that's your tone, you know? People take that for granted because of privilege. Being able to buy nylons or, or pantyhose that are your shade. It's a good, you know, you can go into a store and find your shade. But when you're African Nova Scotian, uh, that's not a thing. It's not available to you. So some of those things that she stated, uh, you know, that going into a place and, and knowing that you're going into store and knowing that you're not going to be followed around by security, that's, that's privilege, that speaks to privilege. And I, I just believe that one of the things that healthcare providers must be very cognizant of is even, even their, um, you know, their, unconscious bias because some things are just taken for granted and you know you just it's just believed that this is this is what we do um but uh so i, I just think it's so important to to be self-aware as health care provider to understand the historical significance of uh racism and the black community what 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 has been the effects 
um, we know now that it's created, racism has created significant mental health issues for people in the black community. Um, the nature of systemic oppression experienced by the client should be something that the healthcare provider really seeks to understand. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of work, but you know something? Dealing with racism is a lot of work. It's painful work. Uh, the other thing that is very important for healthcare providers to know and understand is, is know your own cultural biases and learned information about people of other cultures, of our diverse cultures. And understand, get an understanding of cultural differences. And, uh, you know, um, for instance, um, we, we always coin the term African Nova Scotian. Well, there are many African Nova Scotian communities. There are people who have come from other Black uh, countries, continents, and they may not have the same healthcare needs as we do, who have been living here for seven, seven six generations. And uh, so it's important to see that there are differences. There may be some similarities, but there are differences. So that's another thing that uh, just to be cognizant of which helps towards the journey of having cultural competence. It's just about understanding and trying to, trying to make changes in the general, the status quo. So Rose, when we're thinking specifically about the Black Nova Scotian community and this awareness of cultural differences, can you give us any examples of assumptions that healthcare providers might make about that community and how making those assumptions impacts the ability to provide care and the health of that community? Mm -hmm. Well, I recall at a program that I was uh, um, co-facilitating, uh, Black Women's Health Program, a woman uh, spoke at one of the sessions and she shared this scenario where she was at a public meeting and one of the physicians from the Preston Township, who served the Preston Township, uh, spoke and said that, um, that uh, Black women do not require pain medication when they are going through the birthing process because they have a very high pain tolerance. And from that moment, the woman that shared the story said she shut down and the other woman in the room shut down. And basically what happened was an assumption was made and I'm not sure what that assumption was based on, but an assumption was made that black women are, are strong and tough and they can take uh, any nature of any manner of pain or, um, uh, and it, it, was, it was an assumption because certainly um, I've give, given birth to two children. <laughs> And it's not painless. <laughs> uh, so, you know, those assumptions, what happens is that uh, when you alienate people in that manner, Black people in that manner, what happens in, is that becomes internalized. 
And that internalized uh, thought then becomes, I don't trust you. You don't have my best interests at heart. I don't know what you will do if you are my care provider. So that begins a whole journey of distrust. And that can lead to other, um, what people tend to do, and I've noticed over the years is that one incident happens and that kind of uh, really sets the stage for other incidents and causes uh, a level of mistrust for multiple care providers. I had this one experience, for example, I had this one experience and, and I don't trust them, I don't trust any of them now. So it's so important not to make assumptions. I always say the best thing we can do is hear what that client has to say. And sometimes I know as a health care provider, I've had to hear between the lines. You hear more than just that statement that's made. And you watch the patient's body language. You, you see all of us in healthcare have been, we've been trained in that. We've been educated in, in how to have um, uh, interpersonal relationships. We, we know about that. But there's another level with people of African descent. Because of the oppression, because of the white privilege that's been apparent, because of um, the, uh, there's been a lot of uh, inequities in the healthcare system. And because we have just not been treated the same. Thank you so much, Rose, for sharing these stories and these experiences and trusting us to understand a little bit how these experiences are so important and that we need to do the work as healthcare providers to recognize uh, privilege and inequity and do the work to change how that is part of our society and healthcare system. Um, Gail, now that we've had this incredible conversation with Rose in your role as a diabetes educator, what do you think you can take back to clinic and, and your future interactions that will help you to function, interact with more cultural competence? Well, Rose, I just wanted to thank you for your absolutely fabulous examples and bringing it right down to earth. And you put it right into my practice. I can see the examples are right there. And what the one last comment you said about um, a patient saying, you don't have my best interests at heart. If I ever heard that from a patient, that's devastating. But I can see how the patient can make feel that way. This systemic um, racism that's been occurring. And I think when we're talking about cult cultural competence, it's all over. It must be addressed. And I heard you suggesting it's through knowledge and empathy that we can work with this. And I really like the term, I don't think I actually heard it in that regard before, about breaking down the nature of privilege. And we have so many, I totally agree with you, so many unconscious biases when we're dealing with our patients and driving awareness, knowing about that. And you said at the very beginning that we should be involved in cultural competency programs and things. And I am going to strongly advocate that for all of my staff. And the one thing I heard you saying, you're saying train your mind, but you said, listen, 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 learn and respect 
and I totally appreciate that. And I am taking that back. Okay. So thank you, Rose, for your fabulous, I think, um, conversation and bringing it right, right into our backyard, right into my practice. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Gail. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast.